Wow, that was special. <laughs> uh, I didn't want to sing out loud happy birthday because you guys could all hear me, but um, we've read the Christmas story, so I won't read it again, right? So let me pray as we go into this. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for everybody here. We thank you from, for friends from afar, friends near, for family members. We ask that you would speak to us right now that all that is of Jason would fall away and all that is of you and what you want to communicate to our hearts would stick, would stay with us. We ask that your name would be glorified above all else this morning. And we thank you for this day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, Opportunity cost is uh, what a person sacrifices when they make one choice or take one option over another. For instance, if a sous chef works at a very top restaurant someplace. He makes about $50,000 a year, right? Uh, but thinks that he could do better. So he takes the risk of quitting that job to open his own restaurant, right? Uh, but in the first four years, he only makes 25% of what he would have made at the other restaurant. So instead of uh, making $200,000 in four years, he makes only $50,000 total, right? Uh, that means his opportunity cost is $150,000. But in year five, <clears throat> his, his uh, restaurant explodes, does really well. You know, people are coming from all around, and he makes five times <clears throat> what he would have made at the other place. So he makes $250,000 in that year. And if he were still working at the other restaurant, his opportunity cost would now be $200,000. All you economics majors, if I got any of that wrong, be quiet. I don't want to hear it. But... But although he sacrificed income and risk was higher in the short term, his opportunity cost uh, would have been higher if he had stayed at the other restaurant and never took the risk. The risk of stepping out into the unknown uh, was well worth it, especially if his restaurant continues to do well like that in coming years. Now, all the people in the Christmas story chose risk. Maybe Mary had the least choice, right? She's got this surprise pregnancy, but she doesn't seem to really try to hide the sort of inevitable shame of that either, does she? Instead, she, trusts, she chose trust and belief shown by her acceptance and her subsequent obedience to the words spoken over her. So every day, Mary had to walk by something like this, right? <laughs> Daily, passing by old, grumpy, gossipy Jewish women as her belly grew, right? And imagine the scrutiny a young teenage girl would face in ancient Palestine being pregnant outside of wedlock. It's much different today, right? Joseph risked reputation and ridicule as well, didn't he? I mean, he trusted Mary and her words over small-town opinions. And despite the, 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 the pressure to renounce God's plan, both chose to be, remain faithful and to believe God's promises in Christ. That even in their lowly positions, right, just teenagers in ancient Palestine, God could do great things simply through their belief and their obedience to the Word of God. The shepherds also could have stayed in the safety and the familiarity of their own fields. That's where they were comfortable. They they risk shame as well because, really, who's going to believe their cockamamie story, this crazy story? 
But it says that when they had seen him, they went and they spread the word concerning what had been told him about this child. So they took that risk. Each person stepped up in this story, taking personal risks to gain a far greater value in Christ. They chose to forfeit safety and normalcy for short-term loss, right, which, which led to their eternal gain. And I think we, too, can choose to believe the promises of God as found in Christ. Promises and prophecies which came thousands of years before his arrival in that humble manger. Prophecies going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, the beginning of time in the Proto-Evangelium which is, just means the first gospel, the first time we hear the mention of the gospel in the scriptures, when God announced a provision for a Savior from our willful, sinful rebellion against God. A Savior who would take the curse of sin upon himself. And at that time, if you remember, he had, in addressing Satan, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God said, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. And that is a messianic prophecy stating that the Messiah will crush the power of Satan, crush the power of sin in this world, but at a great cost to himself in accomplishing that. Or prophecies like Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, coming 700 years before Jesus' birth and rightly and often quoted during this season, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Amen to that. That is a promise and a prophecy that foreshadows Jesus as the coming Messiah. In other words, the sent and the necessary Savior, since it was by human will, our sin was by human will. Our rebellion was by human will. And that is a debt that we are unable to pay. Nor do we really desire to either in our resulting spiritual deadness. And the truth of the matter is that only God himself has the perfect will, the perfect power, right, and the perfect love to remedy sinful rebellion and to reconcile us to himself. But, here's the problem, sin as a human condition brought about by our own willful rebellion against God can only be paid by a perfect human sacrifice. And that is the justice that is required because sin deserves death. And that's the debt that we cannot pay because we cannot live a perfect life. So, as promised, God fulfilled Isaiah 9, 6 through 7 by entering our reality as this child, growing up as Jesus, the perfect God man. The only one possessing both the divine power to save and the perfect sinless human record to accomplish salvation. And that is grace. That's grace. That God would pay the price for us. 
satisfying the justice required which we could never satisfy ourselves. And the good news, this is the good news. (laughs) That's pretty good news, but this is better news, right? Is that although the payment for sin is death, something that usually nobody ever comes back from, right? Death could not hold him. He rose again, conquering sin, conquering death forever, opening the way for reconciliation with God the Father. John chapter 1 now tells us, to all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, He gives the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent or nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Because the Word, the everlasting divine Word of the universe, which is God Himself, became flesh and made His dwelling among us. He loved us that much. So as Romans 10 verse 9 tells us, all that's left to do is to declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. It is as simple as that, my friends. Because Jesus, as God with us by justice and grace, does for us what we could not do for ourselves. The work of salvation, which satisfies the justice by way of God's grace, by God's doing. And that is what we celebrate at Christmas. Not reindeers, not Santa Claus, not all that garbage. That is what we celebrate at Christmas. The long-awaited, prophesied, and promised Savior. Jesus, God with us, with divine power to save and the perfect human record to do it. One who satisfied the justice by paying that death tax, but rose again victorious over it. I had an artist friend a number of years ago. He's old now. You can see him in the picture there. David Day. And he would make art from discarded found objects or junk, right? And he would use that to communicate the gospel in a person's life, that this junk becomes something special in art, right? And then he would image the church, the people of God, by putting, you know, combining them all into one larger work of art. It was pretty cool. Similar to this, in 2015, artist Bonnie Dillard made a Christmas tree in Washington, D.C., decorated it with turtles and fish and jellyfish, but it was all made from marine trash, which had uh, washed up on a beach in Alaska where she lived. Art from discarded, found objects, right? God used the faithfulness of very ordinary people, Mary, Joseph, shepherds, to make way for Jesus' entrance into the world through their belief and their obedience to his promises, all these ancient promises. They were simply found objects fashioned into a great work of art, chosen, unlikely individuals sort of, you know, to to bring in and to usher in the, the birth of Christ. And like those ornaments, God can use broken individuals, young and old, or discarded by society to radiate his glory in this world. If you're only now counting the costs of following Jesus and the opportunity costs seem too great in the short run, it's not. It is not. 
There is eternal blessing and freedom and life to be found in Him as we are reconciled to God by His own sacrifice. Don't settle for what the world has to offer. Believe and act in obedience to the promises of God that are found in Jesus right now. In Christ, we are all found objects, which normally might live and die with no real lasting contribution to the world other than the accumulation of wealth. Focusing our eyes on the temporary, like prizes of money or power or personal safety even. But all the while, what actually could be sacrificed in the short term would reveal the everlasting value and prize of God as found in Christ. In Jesus, God finds us and fashions out of us a work of art through which he also uses to restore and reconcile the world one person at a time as we share our faith. Fashioning all of that, all of us, into a greater work of art that is the everlasting kingdom of peace and of justice and of love. All the things that we all really want. We now in him have the greatest prize if we would not look to the short term, but instead the greater long-term value of Jesus. So Merry Christmas and choose well because you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. Amen? Amen.